to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 14, our passage for today will be verses 26 through 31, this is Exodus chapter 14, verses uh, 26 through 31. Before we get started, let's uh, go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you again. We are thankful for this time we have together today. Our prayer is that uh, you have your way with your people, that your truths are brought forth, that your spirit uh, convicts your people of sin, and that uh, we cling to you and your cross where, where uh, sin was paid for, we understand where grace uh, is available to all who call upon your name. Uh, This is our prayer today, and we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today we will be in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to be taking a look at the final judgment upon the Egyptians. Just to kind of give you a little, uh, I guess, a peek into my brain, Uh, throughout this week it's been a somewhat of a struggle kind of preparing this and, and um, not so much with what's going on in the passage, but, but um, putting it on paper and, and the thought that kind of kept going through my mind is um, the question I should say is, do I trust that, that God is just? Do I really trust that God is, is right in all that he does? It's, 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 it's easy to say yes uh, but actually living that out through our lives, I think, is, is the difficult part. And, and that's what kept kind of coming back to me uh, through this week. Because if we think about it, there's always something tragic in the news that's happening. Uh, school shootings, church shootings, murders, rapes, all, all kind of stuff that, that is going on. And, and the questions that, that we typically hear in, in the news uh, through reporters or, or whatever is, where was God when all of this was, was happening, or why would God allow this to happen? And then people attempt to answer these questions, uh, and I think they're, they're well-intended, uh, but I, I do believe they fall short. Uh, we tend to hear things like, well, we took God out of our schools, so what did you expect? Or, you know, we're no longer a Christian nation, so now we're getting the, the, the realities of that. Now, those things may have some semblance of truth in them, but in all reality, these, these tragedies occur, and they show this, this radical depravity of, of, of humans, of society, of, of all of us, but there's been one thing that, that's remained constant through it all, and that is God is still on his throne, right? He is making his enemies his footstools, as we read earlier in Psalm 110. And that has not changed. God has not changed. He is, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as that thought keeps going through my head of, of do I really trust God? Is, this, is he right in all he, that he does? And, and in the midst of the circumstances that arise and the things that we go through in, in day-to-day life, I ask that question, do, do, I, do I trust that God is just in, in everything that he does? And, and the answer I keep coming back to is yes, of course he is. God is the righteous judge and all sin, right? All these tragedies that have, that have come upon people, innocent and guilty, the, 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 the things that, that are, are unjust acts, sinful acts, sin, God will, will pour out his wrath on, on all of it. 
right? And it was either dealt with on Calvary in Jesus Christ when he was nailed to the cross and, and he paid for it with his life, or it'll be dealt with when we breathe our final breath and we stand before God in his judgment throne. But at one point, sin, all sin, will be accounted for, and then God's wrath will be dealt with. So either way, sin and sinner will be dealt with. So today, uh, this sermon is going to be a little different. Uh, I'm going to be asking a couple of questions rhetorically and answering them myself. And those questions are why and, and why not. We're going to get more whys and why nots, but uh, it'll make more sense when we get there. So just remember that why and why not. My son has been on this, this uh, rampage of, of asking why uh, over the last couple of weeks. And it's not, you know, go do this, why. It's, it's I mean, it is that, but it's more like he's, he's curious, like, why am I supposed to do that? Like, what, what does this, what purpose does this serve, right? We, we ask, we tend to always ask that question, and, and my son is, is a constant reminder uh, of that, but I digress. So our sermon summary for today, as we, we tend to try to give you a sermon summary to kind of encapsulate what we will preach on, is this. It's, it's derived from Psalm 19, verse 9. It is that we must remember, or excuse me, we must remind ourselves that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Right, let me say that again. We must remind ourselves that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So with that in mind, with everything we've kind of discussed so far, let's ask that question and answer it by looking at our passage uh, today. Once again, that's Exodus chapter 14 verses 26 through 31. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when, it, when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and saw the Egyptians dead. Uh, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord and used, that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. So we're kind of getting in the, the, the tail end of this, this story that's uh, found in Exodus 14 and of our time that we've been sending, spending here during the plagues and, and the Exodus. Uh, but just to give you a little, a little bit of background information, chapter 14 opens up after the 10th plague, after the Passover. They're exiting Egypt. They, they set up camp at the Red Sea. They're, they're kind of thinking, okay, we're, we're done with the Egyptians. They've let us go. We're free to go. They set up camp as they're traveling, uh, they're, as they're making their way back to the promised land. And then off in the distance, the watchmen see that the, that the Egyptians, their hearts had been hardened, and they're coming after them again. They want the Israelites back in Egypt. Uh, so they start complaining and, and complaining about all the stuff that, why didn't you just leave us there, all this and that. Moses is spoke to by God, and he tells him to lift his staff up. They're going to spread the sea. God will fight for his people. Uh, he does so. There's this east wind, right, from the direction of the promised land that blows and 
separates the Red Sea. There's miraculously dry ground that the Israelites walk across. And as the, the Egyptians start coming towards them, there's a, still a good distance between them. They're passing through. The Israelites are almost on the other side. The, the Egyptians are in the, in the middle of the Red Sea on dry ground as well. Uh, God causes a confusion to befall them. Then Moses lifts his staff again, and these walls crash down and kill all the Egyptians. So they're dead, right? The, all, all of them that entered the sea, all of them died. So we, we see this, and this is where we pick up with the story today. Bodies floating up to the water, right, as they're standing on the seashore. They see dead bodies, right, of people that they probably knew back in Egypt while they were there, right? These were all citizens of Egypt. They spent the last 400 years there. There was a good chance these were people that they knew. But with that, all that in mind, right, seeing this, this great miraculous work that God did with them, the first question I want to ask is, is why is why the Egyptians, right? Why were they, why, why were they the, uh, the, 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 the uh, collateral damage, if you will, in this story? Why, the, why were the Israelites taken and the Egyptians killed? Well, the reason that the Egyptians were, were uh, given this, right, this, uh, this judgment, we find in Genesis chapter 15. Now, I want to turn back there real quick and, and read a passage in verses 13 and 14. But to give a little bit of background on that, this is the chapter where Abram is given the promise of God that he will have a multitude of, of offspring. His offspring will be countless like the stars. He believes God and is credited to him as righteousness. We get to verse 13 and 14 and God makes him or foretells of what is to come. You get this amazing promise of, of his descendants, but then you get this story of affliction and trial along the way. So I'm going to read verses 13 and 14 and see how this speaks to the Egyptians. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners or travelers in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants or slaves there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. Right, so this passage foretells of what was going to happen to the Egyptians. Right, the Egyptians, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery. He goes and he actually saves the Egyptians in the midst of this uh, famine. His people are brought in. They're given some land. They start to flourish. Joseph dies off. The people that knew Joseph dies off. And then they, they begin to persecute the Israelites. Right, this is kind of what gets us to this situation. But in this time... These people were guilty of afflicting God's people. But to kind of go back to why the Egyptians, this was God's will and ordination or his ordaining of that the Israelites would be sojourners in this land, that they would be afflicted by a foreign people. But in the midst of that, as that time had completed, that he foretold God would judge the people, the Egyptians, and the intents of their heart to be wicked and pour out his judgment on them as a nation, right? So these people, these Egyptians, had evil hearts. Their, their intents were not to please God, not to obey him or anything. Um, and even in the midst of these uh, plagues that were given, God gave them plenty of opportunities to repent of their sins, to allow God's people to go and, and worship him, but they refused. So what that tells us is the Egyptians obeyed the voice of the wrong master, and they end up paying for it with their life. All right, this is kind of a tough pill to swallow when we think about it, because if we call ourselves into this situation, there's never a valid excuse for us as God's people to disobey the commands of God. We have been called to serve him 
and to love him with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls, and all our strength. Right? Amen. So we should be asking ourselves, am I obeying the voice, voice of the Lord, my master? Right? When, when God tells me to do something in his commands, am I listening to my master, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Or am I listening to another master as the Egyptians did? So we see this is why this happened to the Egyptians. Next, let's look at the Israelites. Why them? Why were they chosen? Right. Was there something special about them? Uh, you know, it, it seems like the land that they're in, they've somehow been able to protect it all these years. Is, is, is there something special about the Hebrew blood? Right. Is there something special intrinsically in them that God chose them as a people? Well, if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through nine, we get an answer as to why God chose Israel. And if you, you can turn there if you want or you can just listen, I'm going to go ahead and read it for the sake of time. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses six through nine says this. <clears throat> for you are a people holy or set apart to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people's who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you or chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and out of a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Right. So is there anything special about the Israelites in themselves? No. Right. This covenant was made with Abraham, uh, who was when when God found him, was not a righteous man. He was just another pagan. He was a pagan in a, in a land. And God decided to show uh, love to Abraham. There was nothing special about him. And at the tender young age of 75, he had no kids, right? Uh, he was married, had all these possessions, but he had no kids. And God told him, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. Why did he tell him that? Why did God choose this man for those reasons? Well, because God chose to set his love on him, right? God did not need Abraham. I think that's something we need to remind ourselves because in society we're told how special we are and, and how how there's this you know purpose for our life and we're just special people and, and it, it's a it's an honor for someone like God to 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 take us or whatever, but God does not have any need of us, right? If God needed something, he would cease to be God. There would be something greater than him. Does that make sense? Right. Like if, if God needed anything whatsoever, he, that would be God and no longer him. Right. God is self-sustaining. Right. He says, I am I am who I am. He was. He is. And he is to come. That, that's who God is. God has no he has no need of us. Right. You may be told from time to time that God created us for relationship and he just wants us to serve him. No, God created us because he chose to and he has commanded us to worship him, right? It's not a question of if we should or if we shouldn't. We are commanded to do so. But getting back to Abraham, right? He was, God was gracious to him, right? He, he showed grace 
when it was not deserved, it was not needed. If it was deserved or needed, it would cease to be grace. Praise God for that, right? That, that God chose to be gracious. God's graciousness, his love, all his attributes are truly incomprehensible. Like we can't ever truly wrap our minds around him. God is an infinite being, right? Which means he has no limits. There's, there's no limit to who God is. But we do have limits, right? I'm only here. You're only there. It takes me time to get from here to there. But God is spirit. He's infinite. He's everywhere, right? The eyes of the Lord are in every place. We can't, we can't comprehend God's love, right? It has been said that God, God can't stop loving his people because he never started, right? Does that come on, right? Hey, that, that's a, a great thing. It, his love does not cease. That's why it's never ending. It never started. It's infinite like he is. Right. God is is so good. He is so good. And we never truly grasp that. But it's 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 almost like this paradox because we're these broken, sinful people. Right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've sinned against God. This perfect being never did wrong. Right. But we only did wrong. We only disobeyed him. God, having no need for us, he gains nothing by saving us, chose to do it anyways. Right. That's what makes grace so amazing. Yes. Let's praise the Lord today. It is an an amazing, amazing truth. He didn't have to, but he did it anyways. Amen. God is God. And by definition, he, he cannot change. Right. We read this earlier. The God does not change his mind. He is who he is. He didn't become savior when he saved us from our sins. That was just an exercise of his attributes, his character. Right. He was just showing us who he is. He didn't he didn't become that. Right. It's it's so amazing when we understand, when we learn who God is uh, to, to, to see these these great truths in his word. In Jeremiah nine, he tells us that that man should not boast in, in riches or anything else that we should boast in, in knowing God, that he is a God of love and justice and steadfast love. Right. Like that's what we should boast in, that we are learning more and more about God and and seeing how great and wonderful he is. Right. This is just a, a, a wonderful thing. But I, I say all that. Right. And this is this, this makes us feel good because it's true. But we must also remind ourselves God being a just God. Right. He chose to do this by his own will. Uh, but God would be just as much God in pouring out his wrath on all of mankind. Right. He's just as glorious. He's just as loving. He's just as righteous if he saved no one and poured out his wrath on all of us because all of us are guilty of sin. Right. Whether he saved us all or he poured out his wrath on all of us or just saved some of us in any situation, he's just as just because we all deserve sin or we all deserve death. Right. If we all deserve death, then he's given us what we deserve. It's a righteous act for him to do so. If he saves all of us, it is a it's a righteous act, too. And it's just as just as if he saved none. But we don't we don't like that. Right. We don't tend to like that. We we think we deserve it. And, and God is just in whatever he does. Right. That's the, the thought that keep came that kept coming back to me is God. Can I do I trust that God is just. Right. Because all of history, God has been just in his dealings with men. Always. He has always been just. But it's hard. It's hard to accept that. But we must have a, a true representation of who we are as man and, and, and as great of a represent, representation that we can of God to truly understand the, the relationship that we have before God. Right. A holy God that cannot be in the presence of sin. 
we are born into sin, right? We have no, there's nothing, right, that, that, that we have to offer God. And, and he chose to step into creation to save us. It is, it is a, a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. But in his just dealings with his people, we look back at, at verse 30, right? When it says that Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, right? I mean, imagine us, right? If we were there and, and we were afflicted by a people, right? We're, we're coming out of that. We just saw all the firstborn of every household dead. They, they died. People are wailing, right? This is infants to, to, you know, anyone who's in the house that's the firstborn, they died, right? Every household was afflicted, was affected by this. And, and they, the Israelites are now leaving from this situation. They understand what's going on. And then as they cross this Red Sea in this miraculous act, they see bodies of people that they may know washing up on the seashore, lifeless, right? This is a, a, a crazy, this, this, would, this would scar us, right? I mean, people have PTSD from situations like this, seeing someone die or, you know, different, different things. It, it affects us in a, in a big way. So, I ask the question again, why? Like, why would God show them this? Why, why would he do this to his own people? Why would he, why would he do that? Well, I believe it is, it's twofold. I believe there's two things. I don't believe it's limited to this, but these are two things that I see through Scripture that, that makes me think this is why God would have done this. First off, it would be to remind Israel of what is in store for all those who disobey the word of the Lord. Right? All those who say no God, you can say this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do what I want. This is what's in store for all those that do that, right? God, God is a righteous judge, no sin will go unpunished, and he punished the Egyptians for their sins. Secondly, I believe it was to remind Israel that the same power that killed the Egyptians was the same power that saved them as they passed through the walls of the Red Sea. Praise God for that, right? It's the same power that sustained those walls and allowed them to walk through and, and leave, be delivered from these people that were seeking to enslave them. The same power that sustained it for them is the same power that, that poured out his wrath on the Egyptians. Right? This is, some, this is why it says in verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. They, they revered God and, and his great power, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses, right? We see it, right? We, 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 this, yeah, we see it. This is what it took for the Israelites to believe God. He gave them this, this, these signs and wonders, and, and they saw it. God, yes, yes, you, you are who you say you are. You told us you were going to deliver us, and you did just that. Thank you, Lord. It, it, it's, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is amazing. I mean, Think about the Israelites, right? They, they see all these signs, they leave, and, and I, you know, the Israelites, they're, they're just like us today. They're no better, no worse, but they leave when they see these ten plagues. They're, you know, it's, it's withheld from them, right? There's darkness. They don't have darkness. People lose their firstborn. They don't lose theirs. God does all these things with gnats, flies, frogs, blood in the water, and they're, they're, they're sustained. Well, he takes them out. They, get, they set up camp near the Red Sea. Then they see the Egyptians coming once again. They forgot everything God had just did for them. They start complaining. Why did you take us out of there? Were there not enough graves in Egypt is what they say in chapter 14. You should have just left us there, right? Here they come after us, and they're going to enslave us again. Why are we listening to you, Moses? Why are we listening to you? Right, so they had the sea 
on, on one side of them, which more than likely people, I don't think people swam like they do now, but they see a, a rock and a hard place, right? The Egyptians and an ocean, they can't get away, right? So death for them was inevitable in their eyes. It was impossible for them to save themselves, right? That's, that's where they were. They, they, they were in an impossible situation. They could not save themselves. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a savior, and as scripture tells us, Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Amen. But if you think about it, right, if, if, if we, we, we can run them through the dirt and throw them under the bus all day long, but if we think about in our lives, how often have circumstances in our lives seemed impossible, insurmountable, hopeless, or there was just, it didn't seem like there was any end in sight. Right. We've all gone through those things through those things. And possibly some of us are going through those things right now right? where it's like, why is this happening to me? Why am I still going through this? Why can I get past this? Right. I'm always broke or I'm always sick or, you know, my 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 husband doesn't act right. My wife don't act right. My kids don't act right. My, my you know, whatever the relationship is, the job, whatever. You know, we tend to think these things are impossible, insurmountable, hopeless or there's. There's just no end in sight with them, right? We're just like the Israelites. God, why didn't you just do this or do that? Why, why are you bringing this to me? You should have just left me alone, right? This, this is what the Israelites said, similar to what we say. Now, with that in mind, if, if our mind is there, without knowing the intricacies of, your de- of the situation, right? And even if I did, probably couldn't give you a square answer, A plus B equals C. I can't give you that. But what I can tell you, with certainty and with all authority that God has given me as, as a minister of his precious gospel is that if you are in Christ, all things, these tragedies, right, the, the suffering, the pain, the heartache, the despair, the worst things you experience in life and the victories, the, the greatest things that happen in your life, the miracles you've seen and everything in between, right, everything in between, all of it, God is using for your good, right? He is using it to sanctify you. He is using it to grow you in your faith, to mature you in your faith. And he uses it also as a testimony of his faithfulness in your life so you can be an encouragement to others. Thank the Lord, right? So why does God allow these things to happen to you? It is because through these things, he is conforming you into the image of his son, right? When when we go through tragedies right and and you endure through those things by God's word by his spirit by his people gathering around you we see Christ in you right think about that we see Christ in you when you go through these trials and pains and and you endure through and you get past it we see Christ in you right we've had countless miscarriages right in our church countless and, and we've rallied around people, we've prayed for them, we've, we've comforted them, right? And, and we've endured through those things. We've endured through them as a church, right? And we've seen Christ in people. As, as you're serving those who are going through these hard times, through losing loved ones, through divorces or whatever pain, when, the, when people are serving each other, we see Christ in those people. It is a, oh, it is such a, a wonderful thing. It, it It should bring so much joy to our heart whenever we're going through something and someone ministers to us. We see Christ in them, right? That's that's such such a beautiful thing. And God gives us those opportunities. If we didn't have trouble and pain, we wouldn't be able to do those things. 
right? And that's what we're here for. We're here for each other. This is not about doing life on your own. We are a body, right? We are a body. A body helps each other. We can't help each other if we don't share these things with each other, right? We need to be a body that is serving each other. Who does not want to see Christ in someone? That is such a beautiful thing, right? It is a beautiful truth that God has given us to, to be that encouragement. It is, his, as his word says, we are these masterpieces, these handiworks of God's own hand that he prepared uh, to, to do good works that he prepared beforehand, right? He created us for good works. As we do those good works, people see Christ in us. Praise the Lord for that. It is, it's, why don't we do it more, right? Why don't we do those things more? That's another why question. But we ask that, right? So we see all these whys. Why, why the Egyptians? Why the Israelites? Why do we go through these pains? Why do we go through these things? And, and this has led us to our time that, that I asked the question, why not? Right now, I've been intentionally vague with not so much sharing why I wanted to mention why not, because I wanted to, to get our mind there with, with where we've been so far. But what I mean by that is, is why not? The question that I ask is why not me? Right? I'm not trying to give some phrase like, why not me? I need to go do these things. Why not me? It, it's, it's not about that. What, what I'm getting at is if I was an Israelite, and I see the Egyptians washing up ashore after I've just complained about what God has done for me, why is that not me? Right? Why is that not me? I was complaining against the God who saved me from these people, not trusting in him. Why is that not me? Why am I not washing up on the shore? Right? I'm the one that's I'm complaining. Right? We go through the wilderness as we continue going through Exodus. You'll see all the grumbling and complaining and the terribleness that the Israelites do. Right? And then we do the same thing today. So, I, you know, and I ask myself, why, why not me? Right. If if I look at the Egyptians or I just think about the unbeliever today, those who are not in Christ. Right. Those who are atheists, those who are agnostics, those who follow another false religion. And, and, and if they die in that state, they are headed for hell. They will be spending an eternity in torment. Right. Jesus describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right. That's what's in store for them. Right. But when I look at those kind of people, when I see people that are out there and whether they're open and, and boisterous of their disdain for God or they're quiet about it and sit in the, in the church pew and just deny him with their actions in their heart, regardless of that situation, wherever they are, I, I see myself in them. Right. I see myself in those people. Why do I say that? I say that because as I see the Egyptians, the unbelievers, atheists, agnostics, whatever, you know, I, I see selfishness, right? And I see that in myself. I see self-righteousness. I see that in myself. I see pride, right? I see that in myself. I see people angry, right? We have people that go to abortion clinics and they preach for people to stop killing their babies, right? We see this and people are yelling at them and cursing at them and flicking them off, just angry with what God has said. And they're just repeating what God has said, angry with that, right? And, and I think about myself, I get so angry when things don't go my way, right? When, when some, things don't work out the way that I wanted to. Like, I, I see all these things in myself, right? And I'm like, why not me? Why am I not like them, right? When, when I... <clears throat> When, when I think about that, right, and when I look back on my life, when I see God's word and what he's called me to, what he's done for the, the Israelites, what he's done for the New Testament church, what he's, 
what he's done in, in my family, what he's done in our church. And I see, you know, testimonies of Christ in people. Right. And when when God blesses me in spite of my sinful ways. Right. When I see those things, I'm just like, why? Why have you done this for me? And why am I not there? Looking back in life. If, if there was a sin to commit. Right. If there was a command of God that was given, there's no doubt in my mind that I broke all of them. Right. I mean, there, there's no doubt in my mind that any sin that could be committed, I've, I've already done it. And that's not to, to brag and boast. That's just to show the depravity of, of myself and when I'm selfish and seeking my own desires. And then I ask myself, like, why? Why, why not me? Why, is, why have you not poured out your wrath on me? And then I think about the day when, when God calls me home, right, when he, when he calls us home. If, if, if I was to die today, right, and, and I was to go before his throne and there was others that died with me. And, and as Matthew 7 tells us, if, they were to, if there were people in front of the line before me and, and they were like, Lord, Lord, didn't we commit all, do all these things in your name? Didn't we perform miracles and preach and, and, and do this? If, why, why, why are you casting me out? You know, and he tells them, depart from me, you, walker, or you worker of lawlessness, right? If he, if he tells them that and they're giving them all these excuses and, and he tells me the same thing. I have to think back on the way I've lived my life and be like, you know what? You are just in doing so. Right? I deserve that. I deserve, I deserve to go to hell. I mean, I, if I'm being honest with myself, that's what I deserve. Right? All my grumbling and complaining and, and disobeying God's word, that's what I deserve. If he called me today and says, yep, sorry, you're, you know, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to be mad about it again, but that's what I deserve. That, that's, that's, that's what I deserve. If God is a just, a just God, that, that's what I deserve, right? That, that's what God owes to me. That is, that's the wages of sin. It's death, right? That, that's what I am owed. But I think about that, right, like Paul did. And then I think about this wicked man that I am, that I need deliverance, that I'm a wretched man in my own self. And, and there's a, a passage of Scripture that, that I'm going to beat, beat like a drum until the day I die because it, it resonates so well with me. But this passage is found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 th- or excuse me, 12 through 17. I want you to turn, turn there with me because I want you to read it for yourselves as I read it aloud. But we are these wretched sinners, right, who have complained and, and rebelled against God, have transgressed his law. This is who we are naturally. Whether you want to believe it, accept it or not, Scripture tells us that all of us have, fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one exception. Right. If we are born in the flesh as man, as we came through Adam, we're all sinners and we're deserving of death. First Timothy, chapter one, verses 12 through 17. I hear pages turning, so I don't want to read it yet. I want us to read these words and put ourselves in Paul's shoes as he read this, because this is what God has done. This is this is the beautiful truth of the gospel. It says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Laramie, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, 
that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Thank you, Lord. Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Right? As we said earlier, serve in the body. We see Christ in you. Right? This is what Paul's saying. Right? He's able to do these things because of what God has done for him. He's an example of God's patience. Right? God's mercy and love and, and justice, right? He's an example of God's justice. Someone had to die for Paul's sins. Someone had to die for your sins. God just doesn't forgive. Someone has to pay for the sin they committed, right? We, we can't just forgive and forget. There, there's none of that. We, there, there has to be payment for sin. For things to be made right, there's a payment for sin, and that's death. Jesus, Jesus died that death for us. Right? Jesus died that death that we deserve. That's why he was able to forgive us. It was a just act on God's behalf to show patience, mercy, love, grace, to show his character to us. He showed it through his son as a visible example to us. Hebrews tells us that, that he, he was the exact imprint of his nature. Right? When Jesus walked the earth, God walked the earth. That, that's who walked the earth. It was God in the flesh. Right? The way he acted, the way he interacted with people is the way God interacts with his people. Right? We get the perfect example of that in Jesus Christ, the Son. So as we close, I wanted to make this as clear as I can. Right? I'm, I'm trying to be as clear, uh, giving this example as I can, that uh, Jesus, or excuse me, as God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? that, that he is a just God, he is the righteous judge. And as we've discussed the whys and why nots, I really want us to look at ourselves and our current lifestyle, the way we are living our life. And when we consider God's standard that he has set before us, right, be holy as your father in heaven is holy, right? If that's the standard, holiness is the standard that he set. Where do you align with that? Right? Where, where do you align? If you were, where are you at right now? Are you trusting in your own righteousness and your own good deeds, are you trusting in Christ and his righteousness alone? Right. If I was to ask you, well, how do you think life is going for you? And you start saying, well, you know, I'm I'm reading my Bible more. I'm 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 trying to give to the church. I'm trying not to cuss so much. I'm I'm uh, spending more time with my family. Right. These you're trusting in the things that you're doing. Those are deeds. And God sees them as filthy rags. Right. That's what he sees them as. Right. If you were to tell me. Thank God that me as a sinner, Christ saved me, right? Because that's the only good that I have. And I'm trying to live my life to please him, right? He has died for me, and I want to live in light of that, right? I'm trying to live in a manner worthy of the calling that he's given me, right? Is that the life that you're living? Are you living? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm doing better, right? I'm better than what I was. I'm, I'm doing this and that now. Where are you at, right? Because one is trusting in yourself. The other is trusting in God. So like we said, God has God saved you from, from your life of sin? God is this righteous judge, and his judgments, as we read earlier, are true and righteous altogether. Sin will be dealt with one way or another, and the Egyptians found out the hard way, right? They trusted in their own righteousness, right? If they didn't, they would have allowed the people to go. They would have feared God. They, they trusted in what they were doing. 
what they did was wrong and it cost them their life. So I, I say all of this, right, and, and the, the, the reminder that I'm given through Scripture, through First and Second Timothy, right, through Titus, these Pauline epistles that are the, the pastoral epistles as they're called, is that God calls us to preach. God calls us to pastor churches uh, not to make people feel good about yourself, right? It's not, I'm not up here to give you a motivational speech tell you how good you are or just how you're almost there, just keep going and trying harder. That's not the duty of a pastor. That, that is not what we are to do. We are here to remind you that standing before God, that if you stand in your own righteousness, it is in vain, right? You must trust in the finished works of Christ, right? God, Christ came and lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you should have died, and is given you eternal life through his son when you trust in him and the works that he has done for you, right? That's what I'm called to do and remind you of because when you leave here, everything in you and everything that you see, read, or touch, or, or told is believe in yourself, right? Believe in yourself. It's up to you, right? It's, it, just keep going. You, you can do it. That's not the story of scripture, right? The Israelites, to the right was the sea, to the left were the Egyptians. What could, could they believe in themselves anymore? What was that going to do them? Right, what was that going to do them? Nothing. They had to believe in someone greater than themselves. Right, that's what we've been called to, to believe in someone greater than ourselves. And that someone is Christ who died for sins. So, so trust in that today. My, my call to the sinner and the saint, right, to those who are saved and to those who aren't saved, is that we all must confess our sins before God and repent of them. Right? We must turn from our sinful ways, from trusting in our own works. Whatever it is, is sinful. You can be giving away millions of dollars, saving babies, uh, a doctor saving millions of lives. If you're doing it for yourself or to try to gain a, a better standing with God, it's in vain. Right? None, of that, none of that. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it doesn't matter what you do, how pleasant and nice it looks on the outside. If you're not doing it in faith in Christ, it's, it's in vain. Right. So are you trusting in yourself? Or are you trusting in God? When we recognize ourselves as, the, as these sinners, we trust that the Holy Spirit is convicting us of that sin, that he's strengthening us, that by our brokenness and, and, and our desire to, to please him, that he's going to get us through this life. Right. That he's going to conform us into the image of his precious son. Right. That we will see Christ in you. That, that is the desire of, of our of us as his people, that we that people see Christ in us. Amen. All right, so praise God for that. It is an amazing truth. So let's, um, let's close in prayer.